0: This is The Rundown. The rundown. The rundown. The Rundown. Hosted by Luke Lipinski. 98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station.
1: Live from the auction Community Studios for the next two hours. Luke Lipinski here with you, Cody Fincher, Bear behind the glass. It is Veterans Day, so first of all, thanks to everybody out there for their service. Cody, how you doing? I'm doing well. Ooh, well. Is that better than you were doing yesterday or the same? I don't know. you ever had one of those shows, because I'll just tell you right now, I'm having one right now, where I feel like I've been preparing at high speed for the last, I don't know, five and a half hours. I think we've got like nine hours worth of stuff to talk about in the next two hours, and I'm still like scrambling. I feel like... I feel like I'm like, I've been preparing for the last exam to graduate college. And I, so I wanted That's all the, the worst. information. I hate, yeah. I hate that feeling. So now, now that, like
2: you've done so much prep and studying, but you still are like nervous. You're going to do terrible. Well, now I just
1: need two seconds to like catch my breath. I mean, I'm not nervous. Oh. I'm going to do terrible. Although well, that's I, how
2: I was in college.
1: <laughs> yeah, maybe that wasn't the best analogy. I should point out because now this is just becoming a theme. The game on the TV in here that they're replaying, and I feel like this is personally directed There's at no me. There's No way! It's they're replaying the Dolphins Cardinals again. No, for me it's even worse. Oh no! What is it? Panthers Chiefs. So oh, towards the no. end of this game, I'm going to watch Christian McCaffrey get hurt and <laughs> uh, presumably be out for I don't know how long, but at least this week and bye week, yeah, whatever. Anybody out there who drafted Christian McCaffrey number one overall in your fantasy league knows exactly how I'm feeling right now. Uh, let us begin by throwing out the Twitter handle. You can tweet into the show at Rundown 987. You can tweet at me at Luke Lipinski. You can tweet at Bear at Bear 987. We are going to talk to Kellen Olson next segment. Get his thoughts on the potential uh, Chris Paul deal. But also, you know, the NBA draft is a week from tonight. So we're going to talk about that with Kellen Olsen as well. Brian Windhorst was on with Bickley and Murata. We're going to replay you part of that interview later on in the show. We are also, Cody and I, are going to go through, we're going to do a top five and bottom five in the second hour of the show. And this is where I'd like some some input from listeners. The five best and worst draft picks in Phoenix Suns history because the draft is coming up next week and uh, we don't have a show tomorrow because of Big Red Rage and everything. So this is uh, we only have a few chances left to talk Suns draft before the actual draft next Wednesday, but we are going to start off with the trade itself, which hasn't happened yet and it can't happen officially and, and it may not happen at all, but it—it uh, it sort of broke, during our show last night Brian Windhorst tweeting out that the the Suns have uh, have had talks with Oklahoma City about acquiring Chris Paul and now we've had 24 hours to kind of gauge everybody's interest and and you know kind of think for yourself how you specifically feel about uh, this potential trade. I, you know, I think if the Suns make this trade if they can pull this off I think you're a playoff team and I think you're a playoff team that could potentially win a series I don't know about two, just because of the quality of the Western Conference. But I think you're definitely a playoff team. You're not making that trade unless you fully expect to be a playoff team. Because you're only going to have Chris Paul essentially for two years. The reason I think the Suns are a playoff team, there's a few. One, Devin Booker still appears to be getting better. Two, I'm going to go ahead and assume DeAndre Ayton's not going to get himself suspended this year. So they will get more from him, and he looks better, and he looked better in year two than he did in year one. Three Mikel Bridges is really, really emerging to me as that third piece, but not like as a superstar, but as a guy that can do a little bit of everything that you need, especially in big game scenarios. That's why I think you have a guy like him. You're dangerous in a best-of-seven series against another you know good team, not if they're playing the Lakers or the Clippers, but you know what I mean. But the other thing to look at is Oklahoma City was essentially led by Chris Paul last year, and they finished fifth in the West. It's easy to get caught up and look and say, "Okay, well, you know, the Suns aren't going to catch the Lakers or Clippers or Nuggets. Those teams aren't going to drop off the Rockets, except put a pin in the Rockets for a second because there is talk Russell Westbrook and James Harden both won out if that were to actually happen. Well, then they are not necessarily a team that's guaranteed to finish ahead of the Suns by any means. If those guys both left, then they should finish well behind the Suns. But a team like Oklahoma City, as good as the Western Conference was last year, still finished fifth. Actually tied with Houston record-wise for fourth. And it's not the exact same makeup as the Phoenix Suns, certainly. But Chris Paul was the leading uh, player on the team in terms of points, 21.3 a game. He was right up there in rebounds, really only behind Steven Adams, which is crazy if you think about it. Chris Paul is a point guard. Led the way with 5.3 assists per game. Still a very impactful player and at, at, at age 34, 35. And not in a, oh, good for him, he's still out there and he's trying his best and he's not hurting the team sort of way. No, he was one of the better players in the NBA last year. Now, there's no guarantee he's going to be that guy in three years, but if you trade for him, it's really only for this upcoming season and next season. So, yes, 100%. I fully expect if the Suns can make the trade that they would be a playoff team and a playoff team that, assuming you don't sneak in eighth or seventh, if you could get up to sixth, if you could do that, then I think maybe you have a chance of winning your first-round series. It's, It's at least not crazy talk. We're not going into the playoffs just happy they made the playoffs in that scenario. If you're a sixth seed and maybe you're playing Denver, yeah, you're the heavy underdogs, but not so heavy that it's impossible you could win. This is what's interesting to me, though, is if you go to ArizonaSports.com today, the poll question is, would you make the trade for Chris Paul? And obviously we don't know what all the pieces are, but it certainly seems like if there's a third team involved or not, you'd be giving up Ricky Rubio and Kelly Oubre as we talked about last night, right when it happened. I mean, those are the first two names. It was, it was obvious that it's those guys are going to have to be involved. And I should point out that Gambo, last, last show, pointed out that uh, based on the, the people he's talking to around the league, Oklahoma City maybe doesn't want Ricky Rubio and Kelly Oubre. So that's obviously a pretty big sticking point. But for the sake of conversation and going forward with this, and he didn't shoot down that the trade could happen. He was just putting out there that that's an obstacle that both sides would have to overcome. But let's say this trade could happen. The poll question on Arizona sports today is, do you want this trade if you're the Suns? 53% say yes, 47% say no. That no seems pretty high to me. But if you then put that next to the Burns and Gambo poll question from this afternoon of what would the addition of Chris Paul do for this team this coming season... Eighty nine percent of people voted for either it would they would barely make the playoffs or they would be a top seeded playoff team, which I'm taking to mean like, you know, top four or five in the West. Probably not going to be number one or two in the West. So if 89 percent of people think that making the trade would get the Suns into the playoffs and maybe even better, why do only 53 percent of people want the trade to happen? Doesn't that (laughs) that doesn't add up to me uh, at all? So certainly, we'll get more into that. Like I said, we're going to talk to Kellen Olson next segment, and we're going to play a good chunk of the interview with Brian Winhorst from Bickley and Murata later on in the show as well, because Brian Winhorst was originally the guy who who uh, who broke the the report last night. But right now, let's get into the rapid reaction,
0: the rundown, rapid reaction, rapid reaction, reacting to today's top three trending sports stories.
1: Well, the Arizona Cardinals making some moves today. Signing Jonathan Joseph to bolster the secondary. Announcing they are going to be able to reactivate Devon Kennard and Byron Murphy. So the defense should look a lot healthier and presumably a lot deeper this week against Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. And that's good because Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills just put up 44 points on the Seahawks last weekend. Josh Allen won uh, AFC Offensive Player of the Week, although... It really seems like any quarterback that is playing the Seahawks is going to win his conference as player of the week. Seattle's defense is miserable this year, and if the Seahawks don't make a deep run and or go to the Super Bowl or win the Super Bowl, uh, it's almost certainly going to be pinned on the defense. But for the Cardinals, getting some key pieces back and the addition of Jonathan Joseph. Let's see what he can do. Jonathan Joseph is not a guy that stopped playing football two years ago or something, and they're like, hey, come back. We think we can get you in shape. No, he was playing earlier this year. So uh, ideally, he'll be able to step in right away and help the Cardinals as soon as this weekend. Over to college football. I don't know what's going to happen this weekend now because nobody knows what's going to happen, specifically with ASU and Cal. Cal, in case you've gotten the details of this story lost in the shuffle and it's been easy to do. Cal has a bunch of players that are not necessarily eligible to play yet because of a, because of one COVID-19 positive test. One player on their team has it and I'm all for being as safe as possible but the rest of the guys that are, are currently set up and, and the reason that they couldn't play last week the rest of the guys that are unable to play it's because of contract, contact tracing. Now, again, I'm not saying this is the wrong thing to do, but we still don't know if that game is going to happen, and it really sounded like we were going to know by this morning. And this is where Gambo and I really agree. Last week when I walked in, he was like, you got to find a way. If Cal and Utah can't play, you've got to have, what was it last week, you, you, uh, Washington and, and U of A, have them play because they're fine. So have them play. But it was Friday, and the pushback was, okay, well, you can't get that together by Saturday. And I apparently you can't play on a Sunday or a Monday in college football, even though it's in, in 2020. But since last Friday, I've been saying, you know full well that Cal is dealing with this, and Utah as well. It doesn't just magically go away in seven days if you're telling everybody that these guys have to quarantine for two weeks. So if that's the case... Why isn't there a contingency plan lined up for ASU to play somebody else? And honestly, and I know he was kind of, maybe he wasn't joking, but I know it was taken as a joke on Burns and Gamble. Gamble was like, well, I don't just have Alabama play Ohio State. If, neither, if those teams are both fine, but they can't play their games. And I know the pushback is, well, you know, it's different if you're going to prepare for one team than the other. Yeah, but isn't it better than not playing at all? So... I'm not going to get down on the conference or, you know, the city of Berkeley or whoever's going to step in and prevent this game from being played for trying to be safe about it. But it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me if we get to the point where ASU and another Pac-12 team are sitting out that are totally fine because you knew Cal probably wasn't going to be able to play this weekend. Last week, I was talking about this last week. So if I knew, everybody knew. So hopefully the game still happens. It's still possible, but I mean, I would I would assume based on the fact that we were supposed to know this morning and we still don't know that they are doing everything they can to make it happen. And like I said, I'll just reiterate, I don't want them to put student athletes in an unsafe position. I'm not pushing for that at all. I'm just pushing for make a decision and go with it and... You should not have teams that are fully healthy sitting around when your league is only going to be able to play six or seven games anyway. There's got to be contingency plans, and it just doesn't feel like there are right now in college football. And I know a lot of it is because there's not really one overriding governing body. The NFL has dealt with issues, but they have the They have the commissioner's office. They have the league office to deal with stuff. NHL, NBA, Major League Baseball – The difference with college football and and college basketball, too, I guess. I mean, we're going to see this as well. There's just not really one overriding body that that sits there and makes one unified decision. And uh, also, we'll get to this later on in the show. Kyler Murray did talk today, so we will get his response to all of the pushback based on him being silent for 20 seconds when answering a question. I guess answering a couple questions uh, after the loss to Miami on Sunday. All that's coming up, but when we come back, Talk to Kellen Olsen, our own Phoenix Suns guru here at Arizona Sports, get his thoughts on a potential Chris Paul deal, but also what are the Suns going to do in the draft one week from tonight? That's next. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station.
0: 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station, and the home of the Suns. Home of the Suns. We're checking in with Suns nerd Kellen Olsen on the Rundown.
1: Welcome back to the show. Luke Lipinski here with you and joining us on the Coulter Automotive Group sports line is the one and only Phoenix Suns guru of ArizonaSports.com, Kellen Olson. Kellen, I'm guessing a busy day for you today. How you doing?
3: Wait, did something happen?
1: No, <laughs> never. No. Okay, I'll see you later. I'm going to hang up now. All right, cool. So that was <laughs> Kellen Olson. That was fun. That was a good conversation right there. Uh Let's here, let's start with the Chris Paul stuff. I want to get into the draft though too cuz I don't feel like anybody's talking about the NBA draft. But let's It's
3: only a week away, Luke. Literally one week from today.
1: <laughs> literally one week exactly. The draft will be one happening. Day. Yeah. Let's start with uh with Chris Paul though. First just just your general thoughts on if a trade like this is Let's, let's say it was Ubre and Rubio, whether that goes involves a third team or whatever. Let's say it's those two guys. Would you be willing to give up those two? Would you be willing to give up any more than those two? Do you even want Chris Paul?
3: I would do it for those two. I would do it to trade down from 10 to 25 in the draft. OKC owns number 25. Um, I would start to hesitate if number 10 was involved. Uh, I just put out a poll on Twitter to see if Suns fans would do just number 10 and Ubre and Rubio for uh, CP3. And it seems like the 10th overall pick is kind of where people draw the line in the sand and say that's too much. I would agree, but I-, I would also need to know if the Suns have any like serious plans in free agency because like say right now they think they've got a really good chance of signing someone like Jeremy Grant or Davis Bertons or Christian Wood or Danilo Gallinari, Paul Millsaps or Jabaka. That makes it a little bit easier to go away with that pick, but you would need to know that for sure. Regardless of like value though, and like there are some other things here, like one of the worst secrets, um, it's not really a secret, it's just like something really, people don't talk about enough, is that the Suns were really good when Ricky Rubio and Devin Booker played together in terms of outscoring the opposition. They were one of the best, best backcourts in the league last year. And obviously Kelly Oubre just has like a a huge place, not only in the locker room, but on the floor, he's an important player. But at the end of the day, this just comes down to Chris Paul. It's it's Chris freaking Paul. He was second team all NBA last year. He is very, very good. He is, he was the best clutch player in the NBA last year. He would make their clutch offense even better than it was going through Devin Booker, which is crazy to say because of how good Book was in clutch moments last year, but it would be even better. And the thing is, they wouldn't be really doing much to their long-term trajectory because Rubio's on a two-year deal, so is Paul. So you're just really just upgrading. And for the price of Ubre, given his situation, given what you have behind him to kind of fill in the gaps and the likelihood of him staying beyond next year is is kind of low, it feels like. So I I would begrudgingly do it. it. It would be tough, though. I don't think it's this thing where you just celebrate the deal getting done. I think it's tough and it's a risk.
1: It is a risk, and I don't. It's hard to remember the last time this team took a risk that had a potential huge reward. I mean, I guess other than drafting Aiton with number one overall pick. But I I like what you said in there because I don't think that's getting talked about enough you're not messing up, you're not messing with your core, you're not messing, I hate to use the word timeline when talking about the Phoenix Suns, but you're not, like, mortgaging the future, you're giving up a guy in Kelly Oubre who probably won't be here a year from now, and then, like you said, you're upgrading from Rubio to Chris Paul. Let's say they don't make this trade, with the way the the Western Conference sets up, it's going to be tough to make the playoffs, I think if they make the trade, they are definitely a playoff team, but do you see this as something they ultimately need to do, or even if they can't do this, do they need to do something somewhat big this offseason?
3: Yeah, but we shouldn't ignore the fact that there are plenty of roads to them still making the playoffs. It's not like it's impossible for this team to make the playoffs without Chris Paul. I would argue that if they bring everyone back and DeAndre Ayton is improved enough in his third season, which in my opinion, as the number one overall pick, he should be, I think they're a playoff team. I just think Book and DA should be that good. I know book will be the question is deandre but i think that those two plus all the pieces they have around them with how well ricky and Mckell played last year obviously kelly i just mentioned cam was fantastic at the end of the season and just looked better the more we saw him i think that's enough to really make the playoffs with that being said i i just i just believe that there is risk to this deal that really isn't being talked about enough because if you look at chris paul's past experiences it didn't end well in Houston. It didn't end well with the Clippers. It did not end well in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> you, you've got a two-year timeline here for for things to go wrong. So, I would I would like to think that it would, it would wind up being okay here. But he has a history of things uh, not ending well. And if things don't end well here, I I, I don't really know where you go. Like, is, is things not ending well? With Devin Booker leaving? Like, I don't really know what happens there. And and again, people are acting like if you don't make this move, then Devin Booker will want to leave anyway. Well. I don't see how that's the case because they could still make the playoffs with this group. There are plenty of different routes that they can go this offseason. They can go acquire a third guard. Spencer Dinwiddie's name has come up in the past couple of days. They've got plenty of ways to go in for agency. Like There are possibilities here beyond Chris Paul. With that being said, I would do the deal, but I just think there's more discussion that needs to be had that I think some people are willing to let on when it comes to this.
1: Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Let me give you one more on the Chris Paul potential trade. A week ago at this time, everybody's talking about Ryan Rosillo saying it's the worst kept secret in the NBA that Devin Booker wants out of Phoenix, and now here we are tonight talking about Chris Paul potentially wanting to come to Phoenix. So, to you, Kellen Olson, what does that say about the perception of the Suns now league wide among players, and also what does it say about you know whether this deal gets done or not? The fact that the Suns are interested, what does it say about how they view this upcoming season?
3: I think it's kind of stating it's kind of stating the obvious. Like I, I'm sure if we could get. Devin, 100% completely honest on it. He would say that he's upset with the lack of talent they've put around him. It's The secret has been that he's been this good for two to three years now. He has gotten better, but he has been at an all-star, all-NBA level for the past two seasons, and I would even argue three. I think if you go back to that like last year with like the whole um, Josh Jackson, Marquise Chris, Tyson Chandler group, I think that was the year that he really took a leap and he's been playing at such a high level now that of, co- of course, anyone in his position and something that we have been talking about on the show for literally years already, just kind of waiting, saying like, this is looming if they don't do something. And now it, that's the thing about this Chris Paul trade. If this is something that, that Devin wants. And it, I think this was something we just talked about on the show before. Like if this is something that Devin wants, I think you just need to do it. And, and people will say that that's, that's foolish to let a 24 year old who's never made the playoffs dictate what you do in the offseason. but he is, he is their present past future. Like he is everything to the franchise right now. And if he wants to win now, and this is the best way to accelerate it, which in my opinion right now, it looks like it is, then you need to do it. There's a risk involved, of course, but I don't really question books ability to fit with Chris Paul or gel with his personality at all. He just cares about winning and Chris Paul has not missed a playoff since I was in high school. So I, and I'm I'm thirty years old to kind of help that analogy go fully together there. Some people might think I'm like twenty two or something or, or I don't know. Maybe I'm complimenting myself too much. Look, I'm getting off topic anyway. I wanna see of, where this goes. It's a, no, I, I'm I'm very embarrassed now with where it went. <laughs> to put a bow on it, I, I just think that it wouldn't be a problem from book sides. I just wonder the rest of the locker room, but again, that's where you zoom out and you look at what Monty and James have done in the past year, and you feel a lot more confident with it that the other supporting pieces are there. Um, I mentioned this earlier today on Bickley and Murata, Monty Williams coach Chris Paul, Jeff Bauer, who's the vice president of basketball operations for the Suns, drafted Chris Paul in 2005, and then James Jones helped to run the Players Association with Chris Paul. So there's just... A ton of links here to make you feel good about the situation for him to be here. And I think he wants to get out of Oklahoma City most importantly.
1: Yeah, and the stat that stands out to me, Chris Paul has played 92 playoff games since the last time the Suns played one playoff game. Kellen, I'll get you out of here with, a with a, I guess, a somewhat uh, deep draft question. First of all, Part A where is like the top tier of this draft like how many tiers do we have to go through before we get to the suns pick at 10 if they stay there and then part b give us like two names you like for the suns if they are picking at 10
3: can you repeat the first question look sorry
1: just you know if the Suns stay picking at 10 is that the third tier of talent in this draft or is the first tier like eight names because it's so wide open or you know how how deep is this draft if you're picking at 10
3: Right, okay, I get what you're saying. So there are three names, LaMelo Ball, Anthony Edwards, and James Wiseman, who I can 100% say will not be there when the Suns pick at 10. They are going to go somewhere within the top three to five. I'm guessing top three, and that's what Jonathan Gavoni from ESPN has been reporting this week, that they're going to go in the top three. After that, there's a second tier, and that could include anywhere from like six to 12 guys, depending on who you talk to, depending on what board you look at. And, And there are certain guys like Denny Abdia. Obi Toppin, Onyeko Okongwu, Tyrese Halliburton, Isaac Okoro that seem unlikely to slip to 10. Like It would be very, very surprising if they were there. But after that, you get you get to some names that are still really interesting and have some appeal. Devin Bissell out of Florida State is the 3 and D guy. And if, let's say, the Chris Paul trade is a thing, you need a wing, that guy could come in and help you too. So could Patrick Williams out of Florida State. He's a little bit more raw, though, and, and the question is if they would want to draft someone like him and really is what's the most fascinating thing about their draft in my opinion, because there's Patrick Williams. There could be Kyra Lewis out of Alabama, who's a very good point guard prospect. And so is Killian Hayes from overseas. But all three of those guys are probably going to take a little bit of time to be effective. And I don't think it's, it might be less of a matter of James Jones believing in drafting raw prospects and more of just urgency to win next season and looking at this number 10 pick and saying, okay, We've got this move here, this move here, this move here. We actually need to get a player out of this number 10 pick that we could maybe even use next year. So that's where you start to look at Sadiq Bay out of Villanova, who's a wing. Desmond Bay out of TCU is a guy that I really like. And for me, if I had to pick out of all those guys who are more like ready to go right now, I think he's the best pick. He's one of the best shooters in the draft, draft, a really smart player. Just seems like a James Jones type of player through and through. But as you can tell by me rattling off 15 names, This draft is going to be weird and unpredictable, and there's a lot of different things that are going to happen that we just didn't see coming despite all the scenarios that are possible. And it's a good spot for the Suns to be in 10th overall because there's so many different guys they can pick, and, and there's a lot of variety. But with that being said, that makes it tougher to pick the right guy. So I'm, I'm really fascinated to see the night that is a week away. Again, I have to repeat, a week away and free agency starts in nine days. It doesn't seem real, but believe me, it is.
1: Yep, a week away. I'm looking forward to the draft coverage that night. I think you and I will probably be on it towards the end of the first round like we usually are. Kellen, great stuff as always. Appreciate the time and the insight, and we'll talk to you again soon. Yep, see ya. All right, thanks a lot. That's Kellen Olson joining us on the Coulter Automotive Group Sportsline, Coulter Cadillac Tempe. Experience the difference. Visit CoulterCadillacTempe.com. Uh, you can read Kellen's stuff on ArizonaSports.com, and if you just joined us like right towards the end of the interview, you can certainly check it out here in a couple hours up on ArizonaSports.com. When we come back, we'll play that Kyler Murray audio from today. He explained, at least to a certain extent, why his press conference after the Dolphins game on Sunday was so strange. That's next. It's The Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station.
0: The Rundown, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station.
1: Thanks to Kellen Olsen for calling in last segment. Talk a little Chris Paul to the Phoenix Suns, potential trade, the pros and cons. I do agree with a few things he said there of, you know, I would do the trade if it ends up just being Rubio and Ubre. If you got to go with the 10th pick, I want a pick back, and I want a first-round pick back, because you're going to need that to, in theory, draft your next point guard. Um, but I also... And we'll get more into this again later on. But I also very much agree with the if you're going to do this trade or a trade like this, you run it by Devin Booker. I know the old school types will look at that and say, hey, he doesn't get the he's not the GM. He's a player. Yeah. But if you're going to make a trade like this, that changes the face of your team, even if you're not giving up a core piece like Bridges, Aiton and Booker, which you obviously aren't, you still need to know that Devin Booker feels like he can fit with Chris Paul. Because if he doesn't, and you didn't ask him, well, then that was a terrible trade. So you at least need to talk to him. It's not like you go to him and say, hey, Devin, can we make this trade? No, you go to him and you say, hey, look, do you think this would work? I mean, you hear the rumors, too. We are talking about making a trade for Chris Paul. Do you think you could fit alongside him? Or how do you think? Or have you even thought about it? Get his opinion. You need his input on a trade this big.
2: It's not like you're asking him for his permission. No, that's what the people do who have LeBron
1: James on their team. Oh well, yes. But, yeah, consult him. He's your best player. You have to. It's any relationship. you got to have as much open communication as possible. And if you are going to make a franchise-altering decision, you got to talk to your best player. Because if you go out and make a trade that makes Devin Booker worse, well, then that was a terrible, terrible trade. Uh, to football. I'm not going to replay the audio from Sunday. There were, I don't know, three or four different cuts of Kyler Murray being asked questions and ultimately answering with like two to three word answers that he just sort of mumbled after 15 to 20 seconds of dead air. And we've talked the last couple of days. Everybody has a different interpretation. Some people think it is, you know, he was mad at at, at Cliff Kingsbury, he was mad at Zane Gonzalez for missing the uh, the kick that would have tied it. Uh, there's a potential rift between him and DeAndre Hopkins. He was upset because the defense blew the game. as I've said the last two days, I really think that Kyler Murray just hates losing more than most people hate or love winning. I just think he hates losing. He just I think he hates losing more than he likes winning today. He was asked about his first real media availability since Sunday. He was obviously asked about that press conference, and this is what he had to say.
4: Well, a loss is a loss, you know. We're not gonna, we're not, not gonna be too happy, um, you know. But uh, I've kind of, I don't want to say I've gotten better with it, but uh, I've definitely learned how to, you know, see the, see the positives in the game, you know, and kind of, you know, take the good with the bad, and you know, just. I got to be positive. I got to be optimistic. It's a long season. Uh, you know, this isn't college football. It's not. Um, you know, one season one game and you're done. You know, you have uh, you have more opportunities in the league. Um, obviously, we don't want to let any slip. But um, you know, we we still got a long season ahead of us.
1: There you go, right there. The college football thing is the thing that stands out the most to me. He reacted after that game on Sunday, like their season was over. And in college football when you are trying to win a championship and you lose your season's pretty much over unless you're Alabama or another team from the SEC cuz you get like four four losses as a buffer so doesn't that kind of explain it isn't that kind of what we've been saying the last couple of days at least on this show that it was he just he didn't like the loss and it bothers him and i want my quarterback to be that upset after a loss news flash losing sucks it does I don't, and, and, and look, there's a, you don't want to go down the path, and that's why I like what he said at the end, and I feel like that was sincere, I mean, may, maybe Kyler's got me fooled, but that sounded sincere, I wouldn't feel as strongly about what he said if we were talking about Baker Mayfield or something, because I don't know Baker Mayfield, I don't know the situation in Cleveland, I feel like I have a pretty good grasp on the situation here in Arizona, Kyler Murray, last season, Hated to lose. He didn't throw anybody under the bus. He didn't do that on Sunday, but he hates to lose. You don't want to go down the path of sulking. You don't, not to pick on Cam Newton, but you don't want to go down that path of of just a horrible body language after a loss. Not in in any way directed at your teammates, but just having the appearance of a defeatist attitude because you are the quarterback of this team. And that's why he said, you know, I'm I'm, I'm learning and I got to be more positive. And Ultimately, yeah, probably outwardly. It doesn't really matter what Bart Scott thinks of your post-game press conference, or honestly, what any of us think of your post-game press conference. But you don't want your teammates thinking, oh, wow, we lost that game, and and now now Kyler just thinks our season's shot. But isn't it kind of understandable in his second year in the league, and as I keep saying, he's used to winning, and being the reason his team won all through high school and all through college, and now he gets here, he clearly has his sights set on the Super Bowl this season, whether you think that's crazy or not, and to lose a game like that, if this were college and you lost a game like that, you'd have to alter your your expectations for the season. But you don't have to in the NFL. If you bounce back next week with a win, nobody goes undefeated in the NFL. Rarely. So, I think there was a lot in those 35 seconds. He said a lot more in those 35 seconds than he did in those 35-second sound bites from Sunday where he said three words. You...
2: Mention Cam Newton. He could have pulled a cam and just got up and left. He could have. How would that have looked? He sat there and, and I mean, he answered them the way he answered them. But he answered them.
1: Everything he said today just reinforces my belief that he was and just I'm, really uh, upset with a loss.
2: And I'm sure someone talked to him about it. Hey, listen, probably wasn't the best way to handle... The media session He, I'm sure he knew that But it wasn't the worst There's no. so many worse oh, ways. No, 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 no
1: Yeah So, I don't know We'll see Could have gone way worse Oh, we've seen We've seen I mean, he could have Yelled at a reporter Because somebody said They thought they saw him Laughing on the sidelines I don't think we're ever Going to see Kyler Murray Laughing on the sidelines During a loss And I, to, to be honest I would prefer that To the alternative All right, real quick, we, uh, we were looking at NFL.com last night, going through some of the different uh, predictions for awards at the midseason mark. We did get some tweets into the show saying, hey, Derek Carr's not having a bad year. You don't need to, to trash him. I don't feel like we were trashing Derek Carr. Derek Carr is having a very good year. I feel like he's living up to his potential this year. But he's not getting my MVP vote when Patrick Mahomes is in the league and Russell Wilson's having the year he's having. And, uh, and honestly, Kyler Murray, Aaron Rodgers, I feel like are having better years than, uh, than Derek Carr. But yes, Derek Carr is certainly having a good year. They also today did same 28 uh, panelists on NFL.com predicting who's going to make the playoffs and how they're going to make it. Like, are they going to win the division? Are they going to be a wild card? And I won't go through all the teams. We'll just, since we're sort of short on time right now, we'll just look at the Cardinals. Of the 28 panelists, none of them have the Cardinals winning the division, which is interesting because they are a game back of first and they've already beaten the team in first. And I do believe that if they had just held on to that lead against Miami on Sunday, I don't know, seven or eight of these 28 people would have had them winning the division. So it's it's. I saw
2: alarming. one of the panelists had the Rams winning it. Yeah. Over uh, the Cardinals? I mean, I mean I, they haven't played each other yet, yeah. so we don't know how they match up. But
1: I, I don't so much have a problem with that because, I mean, because they are even in the standings. It's just more the nobody now believes the Cardinals can win the division because they lost to Miami.
2: Who has think, Derek Carr making the playoffs instead of Kyler Murray? Uh, That's what I want to know.
1: Um, it looks like David Carr has it. Yeah. Ah, uh, let's, David Carr. Let me see if David Carr has the Oakland Ra- or the Las Vegas Raiders. Oh, in the, uh, Las Vegas Raiders still sounds weird. It does. I don't like it. I can't. That team is moved. I can't so get many on times. board with that. Their stadium's really cool, though. Oh, actually, Carr has them. David Carr has the Raiders finishing seventh, the last playoff team in the uh, in the AFC. Oh. So not 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 going overboard there. Uh, so it won't be an awkward Thanksgiving in the Carr household. No. <laughs> he was smart enough to put his brother's team in the playoffs, but not get so crazy to say they're going to overtake the Chiefs in that division. Nobody has the Cardinals winning the division. Nobody has the Cardinals as the number one wild card, which, remember, is very important to get because that means you're playing Philadelphia or whatever trash comes out of the NFC East. 13 of them have the Cardinals getting the sixth seed in the NFC, 12 more have them getting the seventh, three have them missing the playoffs entirely. There's obviously a path where the Cardinals could miss the playoffs. I feel pretty strongly they're making the playoffs. And absolutely, if we get into one of those scenarios where the NFL has to expand the playoff field to 16 instead of 14 teams this year, which I really hope doesn't happen for a lot of reasons. But if there's eight teams making it from the NFC, then yeah, the Cardinals are. I <laughs> I think they're making it with seven. Um I mean, not, not really any problem here with these projections. It's, I guess, good to see that the Cardinals have have taken on enough national positive attention that people do believe in them as a playoff team. I still think the division's within striking distance, but every time I look at any sort of postseason projections, it just it stands out to me every single time, just that stark reminder of you need to get the fifth seed if you're not going to win the division, if you don't win the NFC West, if you don't catch Seattle, you need to be the number one wild card. I think that is absolutely a goal that I mean, every team and the NFC should have, but the Cardinals specifically, this is not, this is not your typical year where it's like, well, you know, if you're not going to get a first round bye, just make the playoffs and see what happens. Like you got to get that fifth seed. Cause you're playing Philadelphia or you're playing the giants or you're facing Garrett Gilbert in the playoffs. Or, I mean, it's almost like a buy you're almost better off being the fifth seed than the second seed, really. Because remember, only the first seed gets a first-round bye this year. So if you're the second seed, you're playing the seventh team in the NFC, that's going to be, right now, what, that would be the Rams? I mean, it's I'd much rather play Philadelphia, obviously, even if I have to go to Philadelphia. All right, we come back. We're going to hear from Brian Windhorst. He was on with Bickley and Murata this afternoon. He's the guy last night that said... There's there's some traction to this uh this Chris Paul to Phoenix story. We'll hear from him next. It's the rundown with Luke Lipinski on 987 FM Arizona Sports Station. 987
0: FM. Arizona's Sports Station. The Rundown Reload. Rundown Reload.
1: Hour number two of the show, live from the Auction chin Community Studios. Luke Lipinski here with you. Cody Fincher behind the glass. We'll start the reload, of course, with talk of Chris Paul potentially coming to the Phoenix Suns. I will say this right now. I don't want to agree to this deal, and then Oklahoma City sends us Carlton from the Fresh Prince dressed up like Chris Paul from the State Farm commercials. Cliff Paul? Yes. <laughs> I don't want Cliff Paul. I want Chris Paul. Um we had Kellen Olsen on in the first hour of the show, and he brought up a couple things that I wanted to jump deeper into right now. The biggest one is if you're going to make a deal like this, if you are seriously considering this deal, which it sounds like the Suns are at least considering it, you, you have to run it by Devin Booker. You have to. He doesn't necessarily have the final say But you need all the information available to you if you're going to make this trade or any trade like this. It's not just the Chris Paul one. If you're going to make a trade this big, you need all the information available to you. And one of the most important pieces of information, maybe the most important, is how is Devin Booker going to fit with Chris Paul? Just watching the two of them, I think most of us look and say, oh yeah, Devin Booker would fit with him. Chris Paul might make Devin Booker better. He should. How do you think Chris Paul is going to impact DeAndre Ayton? We just played back part of the Brian Windhorst interview from this afternoon with Bickley and Murata. Chris Paul is a no-nonsense guy. If you are not giving the cliched 110% up and down the court every night, you're going to hear about it from Chris Paul, who, oh, by the way, is the president of the NBA Players Association. So people listen to Chris Paul not going to be a problem for Devin Booker. That's not going to be a problem for Mikhail Bridges. Might be a problem with DeAndre Ayton. Or maybe it's exactly what DeAndre Ayton needs. But these are the questions you've got to ask yourself. And also, you got to ask Devin Booker if you are running the Phoenix Suns. James Jones needs to ask Devin Booker for his input on this. you got to have that information. But yeah, if you're looking for a, a leader to come in here and a guy that has played in 92 playoff games since the last time the Suns have played in one. And he wasn't just like Chris Paul wasn't on the bench for those games. A lot of those games, he was the best player on his team. If you're looking for a leader, now the guy who's uh, leading the NBA Players Association during everything that has happened this year, and the players seem pretty happy with him, yeah, that's that's a pretty good leader to bring in. Over to football. The Arizona Cardinals are going to get Devon Kennard and Byron Murphy back for the game this weekend against Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. Didn't get to mention this earlier, but it is worth bringing up, and hopefully that's all we ever have to do with it, and it's gone by tomorrow or Friday as a story. But Buda Baker did not practice today with a groin issue. Not practicing on Wednesday doesn't mean you're not going to play. Not practicing on Thursday? Okay, that's concerning. If he doesn't practice on Friday, we have a problem. But not practicing on Wednesday is not an issue at the moment. But we've seen the Cardinals play a game this season without Buda Baker, and I don't really want to watch them play another game without Buda Baker. He missed the Carolina game, and so did the rest of the team. I don't know if that was, like, out of solidarity or what. But you you need to keep an eye on the injury report for the rest of the week. Probably not an issue, but it's at least out there. College football, we still don't know if ASU has a game on Saturday night against Cal. The story as it goes is Cal has had one player test positive, and you can't you can't rush it. It's interesting how different it seems to be in the NFL. Guys test positive on like Thursday, and then they're playing on Sunday magically. But in college football, you uh, you test positive and you're quarantined for two weeks. This is. Heather Dinich from Get Up This Morning talking about not just the ASU game, but college football in general right now. No,
3: there have been no conversations about that. I would be surprised. It's not impossible, but it would be a Herculean task. And finding a TV window, as you know, during NFL playoffs would be extremely difficult. So you're looking at status quo, January 11th, um, Miami Gardens, and that's the national championship for
0: now.
1: Yeah, the no that she's talking about there is if... uh, if the NCAA has considered moving the playoffs back in college football. And yeah, I get you don't want to go up against the NFL, but um, is anybody going to object if college football is playing its playoff games on Tuesday nights in January this year with everything that's going on? I'm not. I wouldn't mind watching some playoff college football on Tuesday nights if it means we actually get the right teams in the playoff because it's not just ASU and Cal. And Utah and U of A last week, and the Washington Huskies haven't played a game yet because they were scheduled to play Cal in week one. The SEC has, I have lost track of how many games the SEC is not playing this weekend. I believe it's four. Yeah, the SEC has four games already either canceled or postponed this weekend. We're talking about Alabama. LSU doesn't really impact the national championship race this year, but I mean, they won the national championship last year. Georgia, Missouri postponed today. Ohio State, Maryland outside of the SEC that was uh, that was canceled today. It seems like kind of an important game this weekend. If there is a way to solve this by just pushing the playoff back two weeks, sort of like in the NFL where they're talking about, we may have to expand the playoffs because we don't really have any other bye weeks for some of these teams. Like I just it, the thing that's frustrating me with college football is not the virus itself and the pandemic because there's, that's out of their control. It's that there doesn't seem to be contingency plans. If the national championship is set for you know, the first week of January, why can't we just move it to the third week of January if it means Ohio State gets to play enough games and Alabama has to play some of the tough games on their schedule and you know Clemson has a chance to make up for the fact that they lost a game because Trevor Lawrence wasn't playing? I would rather see the right four teams in the national championship playoffs than just well we had to cram it in because we had to be done by January 15th like why weren't you talking about playing an entire season in the spring which by the way is looking like a better idea now with everything that's going on Uh, back to the NFL back to the Cardinals Kyler Murray addressing the odd postgame comments he had after the loss on Sunday against the Dolphins, I don't even know that they were that odd, but just the uh, the way they were delivered. He was asked about that today.
4: Well, a loss is a loss, you know. We're not gonna we're not not gonna be too happy, um, you know. But uh, I've kind of I don't want to say I've gotten better with it, but uh, I've definitely learned how to, you know, see the see the positives in the game, you know, and kind of you know take the good with the bad, and you know just. I got to be positive. I got to be optimistic. This is a long season. Uh, you know, this isn't college football. It's not. Um, you know, one season, one game, and you're done. You know, you have uh, you have more opportunities in the league. Um, obviously, we don't want to let any slip, but um, you know, we we still got a long season ahead of us.
1: Honestly, what he just said right there is good enough for me. With what happened on Sunday, if this becomes a pattern where after a game Kyler Murray is like inconsolable because they lost Well, yeah, okay, that's an issue I don't think it reflects on him as a bad guy As some people were sort of alluding to earlier this week But you don't want your quarterback To have that negative body language I don't think this was A distraction or a problem for the team this week I know it's it's been a huge talking point Not just here, but nationally Obviously with the Bart Scott stuff And, you know, the NFL's 24-7 across the country When, when it's in season So you're talking about a quarterback of a team that's in a playoff spot right now, and he was a number one overall pick last year. There's a lot of people that kind of want Kyler Murray to do something that they can criticize, it feels like. And then there's other people that are just looking and saying, yeah, that was a weird post-game press conference. We're going to talk about it because he's, uh, he's number one overall pick and a quarterback of a team that's in a playoff spot. But everything he just said right there makes a lot of sense to me. This isn't college football anymore. Well, yeah, he was just playing college football two years ago. And he was playing in a position where if his team lost, his team that had national championship aspirations every year, if they lost, well, those are pretty much out the window. You really can't lose more than one game in college football. And he's, this is a guy that lost to Tua when he was in college. And I'm sure that loss is still with him. So considering how well Kyler played on Sunday, he certainly played well enough to win that game. He probably was a little uh, down. 15 minutes after it ended and that's what we saw and I I do agree he needs to be a little more positive outwardly he can feel however he wants but because he's a quarterback specifically if he is a defensive end or he's you know the the right tackle or something not that those positions aren't important but they're not going to be thrown in front of the podium every week and they're not going to be the guys expected to lead the offense or the team in general but because of his stature and his place on the team and his position and the role he's being asked to play and he's the face of the franchise, like I said, I don't have a problem with what happened on Sunday. But if it if it is a recurring thing, if every time they lose, his teammates start to expect him to be just miserable, and that, that can wear on you. But I don't think that's an issue. I really don't. And I like that he said, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get better at this. I'm not going to like losing. But I am going to you know, try and remember I'm a starting quarterback in the NFL and my mood affects a lot of my team. I just don't think there's a problem here. I really, I really don't. I didn't think there was a problem on Sunday night. I thought it was a little weird and awkward when we played the audio on Sunday night. But I just don't think there's an issue with Kyler Murray. I really don't. I wish he wouldn't have fumbled on the first drive. That was an issue. But everything after that, he was great in the game and his post game stuff, you know, that wasn't, you could certainly handle your post game press conferences better. He can go talk to Larry Fitzgerald if he wants some pointers. But you could certainly handle that post-game press conference a lot worse, too. He didn't throw anybody under the bus. And that's he's showed that he has a filter that a lot of players in the NFL, young or old, don't always have. All right, when we come back, top 5 and bottom 5. The 5 best and worst draft picks in Phoenix Suns history. We're a week away from the NBA draft. Seriously. <laughs> It's I can't remember an NBA draft sneaking up on people the way this one is, and obviously it's not supposed to normally be in November, but still, doesn't feel like anybody's talking about it. It is a week away. So we'll do the top five and bottom five picks by the Phoenix Suns all time. Next, it's the rundown with Luke Lipinski on 987 FM Arizona Sports Station.
0: The rundown, 987 FM Arizona's Sports Station. The rundown,
1: all right it's time now for the top five and worst five draft picks in phoenix sun's history so the way this is going to work how would you how would you label yourself cody you're not really the eternal pessimist, but on this show, <laughs> you on this show, <laughs> you tend to take it It's easier the,
2: for me to find side. the
1: worst things about something <laughs> than the best things. That's a good way to put it.
2: I'm okay. a uh, lifelong Arizona Sports
1: fan. Uh, okay. So, there's been more bad than good. That's fair. That's fair. So, uh we decided that uh, Cody's going to give you the five worst picks in Phoenix Suns history. I'm going to give you the five best picks. So, how do we do this last time? We didn't we didn't just like run right through our list. We each started oh, we with alternated five and worked up. Okay. We alternated. So just remember as you're listening to this, Cody's giving you the worst counting down to the worst Suns draft pick of all time and I am counting up to the best Suns draft Obviously, pick of all
2: time. Obviously these are uh, subject to opinion only yeah we've
1: got some, there's no wrong or right answer here well i mean if i had dragon bender on the top of my list that's well best, okay. that would be all wrong. right well okay um, you can tweet fine into the show at rundown 987 a lot of people have so we'll read through some of those throughout the show you can tweet me at luke lipinski you can tweet bear at bear 987 with your uh your reactions to this or your own thoughts whether you have heard this yet or not if you've already heard it that's impressive since we haven't even <laughs> said it all right cody who you got I'm number travelers. five yeah
2: Number five of on my list of the wor- top five worst Phoenix Suns draft picks, Markeith Morris, number five. <laughs> of course, we all remember the off-the-court problems that he had, the on-the-court problems that he had inside uh-huh. the locker room. But And caused. Yes. But even more painful, the Suns could have drafted Kawhi Leonard in that draft. He went about... I, want, I, I forget what how many, but it was less than five picks after Markeith Morris was drafted.
1: Yeah. Kawhi Leonard went to the San Antonio Spurs. And uh, Kawhi Leonard, not that everybody was clamoring to take him at the top of the draft that year, but he was pretty good in college. That It's not like he was some guy nobody had heard of. Yeah. All right. Number five on my list of the top five Phoenix Suns draft picks of all time. I had a really hard time with number five. The rest of my list, I... I I got to it pretty pretty quickly. Number five. Uh, here's some of the other names I looked at. I looked at Larry Nance, and he was mm, okay, he was the closest. Okay. But he uh, he six years. Six good years with the Suns, but the, the tiebreaker I went with Walter Davis at number five. Eleven seasons with the Suns, averaging twenty point five points per game. I will tell you this, he was the number five overall pick in 1977. He is the highest drafted player on my list. So I, I did try to give more credence to like if two guys were pretty even, but one guy was the seventh pick and one guy was the fifteenth right. or something. But Walter Davis was was pretty magnificent. So and if you talk to old school Suns fans if I didn't have him on this list, old school Suns fans would have been coming after me. How's that? Okay, uh, just mine are all pretty recent, by the way,
2: too. I didn't, I didn't go back super far. Uh, a lot of mine are too. Um, the uh, number four on my list of the worst Phoenix Suns draft picks. Um, this was difficult because he had some flashes, but Alex Len, for me, he was a top five, top five draft pick for the Suns. Just didn't work out, and of course. I don't think a lot of people knew how good this guy was going to be when he was drafting that draft, but Giannis went in that draft. <laughs> Giannis was later on in that draft.
1: Yeah. See, that's... I the... think
2: he was mid-first round. Yeah. So, I mean, and I, I don't really... I don't think anyone really thought how... Or knew how good Giannis was going to be, but, I mean, that's what you have talent evaluators for. Yeah. I mean, Giannis is
1: pretty good, right Alex now.
2: Alex Len, they, they they tried to adjust uh, address the center position there with with Alex Len. And it just, just didn't work out. He didn't have he didn't have that killer instinct. Kind of like what we're dealing with with DeAndre Ayton yeah, right now. But yeah, DeAndre Ayton's way more talented than Alex
1: Len is. Let me just say, going forward for the Suns I don't ever need to hear we're gonna address the center position in the just draft just stop uh, Aiton I mean, it's not even meant to be a knock on Aiden, Bat- but I hated that logic of, well we gotta have Aiton cause you gotta well, have a center basketball,
2: it's not 1997 right basketball has become so positionless now like LeBron is a point guard
1: LeBron's all five
2: but, positions yeah he <laughs> At one point, we had P.J. Tucker playing center, you know, guarding guys. So I don't like that. I don't like that reasoning either.
1: Um, My top four of the best draft picks in uh, in Phoenix Suns history, I think, are fairly unassailable. It's just a matter of what order you're going to put them in. I'm gonna go with Amari at number nine in 2002. The number nine overall pick in 2002 is yes. my number fourth uh, pick. And stat, yeah, he was he was a beast. Loved Amari, absolutely a beast. I mean, they
2: probably, in retrospect, should have given him that extension.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
2: he was really good for the Knicks that next year and the year year after. But he was the last good player for the Knicks. The
1: ever. Knicks tried to get Carmelo. They got Carmelo, and it ruined everything. We were talking out in the newsroom before of like, what are you going to do with the Raptors this season? Are you going to move? You, you may have to move them to the U.S. to be able to play because of the U.S. Canadian oh, yeah, yeah. border. And we were like, well, you know, what, where, what NBA cities can you put them in or Just major? Put cities Put them
2: in Madison Square Garden. No one
1: cares. Yeah. Well, and then and then move the Knicks. the Knicks. Make the Knicks <laughs> play somewhere else. Make them play in, Buck in, Two in, Knicks. <laughs> make them play in Canada. Yeah.
2: Um, Okay, the number three player on my list of worst Phoenix Suns draft picks. This is a draft I was really excited about, and I was excited when they got this guy, Josh Jackson. I was really excited about him. Of course, you know, he, you know, I feel like everyone really wanted Lonzo Ball, but he was always going to go to the Lakers. Um, Jason Tatum's also really good, but Josh Jackson, I was really excited about him, and he just never panned out. He's a complete bust. And a theme of things that are on my list of who they could have had. Yeah, one pick later, De'Aaron <laughs> Fox, the point guard that they were looking for forever yeah.
1: was right there. That Josh Jackson is the first name you've said that has like made me cringe. I mean, Marquise for different reasons, and and Alex Len not so much. Just it was a, it was a botched pick as it turns out, but. Josh Jackson is because maybe because it was so recent, maybe because yeah. there was so much hype leading up to that draft. There was all the talk. And you remember it was like, would they trade that pick for Kyrie? Mm-hmm. Would they trade that pick that's, for Kawhi? That's right. That's right. Uh, It wasn't the pick. It was a year later. Would you trade Josh Jackson for Kawhi? I don't think that was ever really a, a, the, the, a legitimate thing. The but it Kyrie, was a talk.
2: the Kyrie rumor was trading the pick and yeah. Eric Bledsoe right to the Cavs because yeah. Yeah. LeBron wanted Eric Bledsoe. Yeah. Yeah, <sighs> We don't need to talk about yeah, that anymore. All right, All right. Right.
1: Your list, at least, you have that extra thing if you can look and see, like, oh, here's yeah. who they could have drafted. Yeah. But I, Again, I'm going to go more positive. Okay, good. Uh, I do think other Suns fans may have my number three guy higher on the list, but Sean Marion, the Matrix, number nine pick in 1999. They should just stick Love with a number Sean nine Marian. overall pick. Sean Marion, did, he, just, he did oh. a little bit of every single thing. He was one of those guys, and he's... Not like I think Mikkel Bridges is ever going to be Sean Marion, but I want him to be similar to Sean Marion just in the sense that he can do this one night and this one night and you get in a seven-game series and Bridges does this in game one, but then he does this for you in game two and he just he does so many different I, things, but nobody did that like Sean
2: Marion. I never understood how Sean Marion made three-pointers with that weird jump shot. Yep. Never understood it, but they went in sometimes. It, it
1: looked like my jump shot, except they go in.
2: <laughs> All right, um, number two on my list of worst Suns draft picks Number one and two kind of go together. If I uh, oh, might have no. spoiled it. Okay. Number two, Marquise Chris. This is the second Mar- Marquise C- on your <laughs> on your board so far. Marquise Chris. Uh, if you remember, they traded up to get Marquise Chris uh, I believe it was to the 8th spot or something like that yes I remember Um, he just never got it he never he never was able to grasp what being an NBA player means Um, and I don't know if he's still on the Warriors or not he might be there Uh, but looking at what they traded to even get him they (laughs) traded the rights to Bogdan Bogdanovich who I was excited about he seemed like he might be a good player, and he's, I believe, in a mainstay in the rotation now for the Sacramento Kings. Yeah, uh, he's pretty good. Yeah, he's a good player.
1: Considerably better than Mark. Especially,
2: that, that trade was weird because they had they had kept Bogdan Bogdanovich overseas for so long, and then they just traded him away. I'm like, what are you guys doing?
1: Yeah. What are you doing? In a draft that really didn't end up being that yeah, great at all. that and-
2: draft wasn't good. I looked at the other players in that draft, and I'm like, eh, I know some of these players' names, but
1: Bogdan uh, averaged a little over 15 points a game last year with Sacramento. Yeah, I mean, 29 you, minutes. A you game. could use that. Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure. Marquise Chris has 15 total points in his career. Okay, we got to hurry up here. I will go number two on my list. Devin Booker, the 13th overall pick in 2015. Um, I got to say, I did. I asked a few people for their input on this, and I also looked on online just to get a sense. Like, I don't want to make just thinking off the top of my head. I didn't want to forget anybody. Why am I the only one that has Devin Booker As the number two <laughs> uh, Most people have Booker at like seven, eight, nine, ten. 10 What more could Devin Booker Have done so far
2: And he was the third It's not like he was the fourth pick in the draft or the no. th- He was the 13th pick uh,
1: Devin Booker would be number one on this list If not for the obvious number one I'll get to in a second Alright, who's your worst Suns draft My pick of all time My worst
2: Suns draft pick of all time I told you it went with number two Dragon Bender he was the fourth pick in that year's draft. I can't remember what year it was. Because com- you've blocked it yeah, out. Yeah, he was a complete bust. Not a good basketball player. Not a good NBA basketball player. I should put it that way. And, yeah, waste of a top four pick.
1: Yeah, they really nailed that draft, didn't they? Yeah, it was great. Uh, between where they picked Dragon Bender at four and Marquise Chris at eight, Buddy Heald and Jamal Murray were both drafted. Ah, Jamal Murray seems to be like a good player. I don't know. I'd give him a shot. If if Denver wanted to say, hey, (laughs) you get Dragan Bender and Marquise Chris, you round them back up. We'll give you Jamal Murray for him. I'd consider that trade. All right. all right, Number one, best Suns draft is. pick of all time is also Dragon Bender. No, um, <laughs> it is. Uh, that would have been bad if we overlapped on one of our picks. Steve Nash, of course, the number fifteen overall pick in the nineteen ninety six no draft. Doubt. But you know, going through this, the Suns have made some some good picks recently. Uh, recently being like the last fifteen twenty years. But um, yeah, the ones you just rattled off as the five worst. Those are pretty much all in the last ten years, weren't they? Yeah, pretty much. Ugh. Yeah, some of the other ones that almost made my list, Cedric Zabalos, Jeff Hornacek, uh, Michael Finley, Dan Marley, Alvin Adams. I know people are going to be tweeting at me saying, how can you not have Alvin Adams on the list? But the five guys I have on the list are pretty good.
0: The Um, two
2: other guys on my list that I was considering were Kendall Marshall and Earl Clark. Remember Earl Clark? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Remember when everyone said Kendall Marshall was supposed to be the next Steve Nash?
1: Yeah, <laughs> I just want to be clear that my laughter is not like me enjoying this. It is no, such pain. pain at the pain. mention of Earl Clark's name that it's the only way I can cope with it is by laughing. Earl Clark, I believe did he go to Louisville. I remember yeah, I Louisville. Louisville and what whatever
2: happened to him? He just I don't know. I don't know what happened to Earl Clark. He disappeared. Coming up I next, we talked tr- to Earl Clark. No, you know what? Oh. They traded him, I believe, to the magic. It wasn't he part of the Gortat Vince Carter I can't
1: remember. Yeah, we can. That sounds familiar. Like I believe you're he was look traded up the to the Magic. All right, we're, I'm going to have to recover from from that Earl Clark reference. When we come back, we'll get back into the potential Chris Paul deal that the Phoenix Suns could be involved in. That's next. It's the rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM Arizona Sports Station.
0: It's the rundown with Luke Lipinski, 98.7 FM Arizona Sports Station.
1: It is the Rundown. Luke Lipinski here. I'm going to try and read through some of the responses we have gotten. I'm trying to find any names that we didn't mention as far as top five or worst five draft picks in Phoenix Suns history. A lot of people saying Dan Marley. Um, Walter Davis, who I had. Larry Nance, honorable mention. I mean, everybody has Nash, number one. Everybody has Booker, Marion, those three are on everybody's, uh, everybody's top five. Kendall Marshall, I'm seeing a lot of him as, as worst. Mario Bennett, he hasn't been mentioned yet. I don't even know who that is. That's not a good sign. <laughs> uh, is that a Zarco Kabarkaba reference? Wow, that and that person, I believe, spelled Jeez. Kabarkaba right. Um, can't even say that. No. Armand Gilliam, Ed Pinkney as worst ones. Someone had uh, Dumas as the worst. Yeah, some, their worst. I, I did see that, and then also, just looking online at, at lists that are out there, I've seen him on the top 15 best, which I don't so understand.
2: So, I, I I distinctly remember, I can't find it, but someone replied, I would put Dumas on my best and worst because of his potential
1: yeah. to be good. He would be one of their best draft picks, but then he never really lived up to it. I am seeing a lot of Zarco. I'm seeing a lot of Bedford. Um as worst, yeah, a lot of Kendall Marshall. That if there was one other guy you could put on, I think you need to put Kendall Marshall yeah. on your list. But the thing if is, if I had six, I would yeah. have put him there. Who are you? I, I don't know who you pull out of that bottom five that you had right there. Um, but yeah, as far as best, it's pretty clearly Nash, Booker, Marion in some order. And then you kind of get into that debate of Amari, who I think is definitely on there. A lot of people like Dan Marley, who was what the 14th overall pick in, in 1988. They didn't like him at the time. No, that's true. Got booed. Um and if you just look at his career stats, like they're good, but they don't match up with some of these other guys. But then you think about what he did for them in the playoffs and and, and what he meant. Uh Goran Dragic has been mentioned to me. Because of the NBA's stupid draft rules, he was technically drafted by San Antonio, which I hate. I hate how they do that. Yeah, I was looking at you know, up their draft picks
2: from the past on basketballreference.com and I'm like they don't have Jarrett Culver yeah. in 2019. I'm like, they definitely drafted Cam Johnson, but then I remembered how the— That's probably the worst thing the NBA does. It, it really is.
1: I mean, the they do so many things to do right. better. It, the other sports just do it the way common sense would dictate you do it. Hey, we just traded the fifth pick to you for the eighth pick. Okay, so who you're taking at five is on your team. Like, he doesn't have to go wear my hat, even like, though he's never going to
2: play for me. Luka Doncic, is, there's a picture of him wearing an Atlanta Hawks hat right now. Just to rub somewhere.
1: Yeah. And Trey Young wearing Dallas Mavericks gear. Stupid. (laughs) It's just, it's so pointless. And anytime you go back and try to look year by year through the drafts, or if you just like, go ahead and look on pro basketball reference or whatever for Phoenix Suns draft history, you're going to see a bunch of guys that never played for the Suns in the draft. And it's that way with every team. All right. Another name has potentially emerged. So I'll ask you this, Bear. Would you rather have Chris Paul... Let's say you're going to make a trade. The, the, a trade is going to happen. Okay. Chris Paul or Russell Westbrook if he becomes available. Oh, boy. Yes, because the athletic
2: Sham Sharani has tweeted out a few hour, a couple hours ago that Russell Westbrook wants out of Houston. And ho, ho.
1: I don't know if it's the um, same report, but there's been talk that James Harden might want out of Houston, Oh boy, which is a whole different conversation. Uh, I'll take James Harden. Thanks. Yeah, um, you're not allowed to have him.
2: Russell Westbrook or Chris Paul? Oh. Uh, You know, for this team, man, Russell Westbrook is so talented, but I feel like Chris Paul would be a better fit, wouldn't you? I feel like Russell Westbrook Westbrook tries to do everything himself, and that's probably why it didn't work with James Harden in Houston, because James Harden is also that player (laughs) that tries to do it himself and needs the ball constantly, and here would Russell Westbrook be taking touches away from Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton and Mikel Bridges and just try to heave up those horrible shots that he takes? That's, that's the thing. I don't know. I, I feel like Chris Paul would make this entire team better, Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton especially.
1: I, I think Westbrook is... I think there's a lot more risk with him. I mean, he's still getting paid a ton, too. But this is a guy that... Most people I've talked to about the potential of adding Chris Paul to the Suns that have a concern about it is, you know, how are the rest of the Suns going to fit if Chris Paul comes in and wants to dominate the ball? I don't think Chris Paul is going to want to dominate the ball. Russell Westbrook, like you said, that's been his M.O. throughout most of his career. And even if he, you know, even if he he comes to the Suns and they make the trade or whatever, and he's like, yeah, I'm not going to be that guy anymore. You know, I understand this is Devin Booker's team, which, first of all, that's no given that Russell Westbrook would do that. But even if he did, he's been trained to be the guy throughout his entire career. So I don't know that I don't know that you could change his game. So basically, what you're saying, I'm sort of echoing it, Cody. I think if you bring in Chris Paul, if anything, he makes Booker better. I would hope he makes DeAndre Aiton better. That that's that could go either way. I will grant you because maybe Ayton doesn't want to be pushed by a teammate, but Chris Paul is going to push you. But I think Chris Paul makes the Suns better. As much as Russell Westbrook is four years younger, and if I'm just if I'm playing pickup basketball, I might take Westbrook ahead of Chris Paul, specifically for this team. I think Chris Paul would be a better fit. Now, they may not make any trade. But I do think that would be a letdown. It really, really would.
2: (laughs) I'm getting uh, Brian Windhorst and I heard uh, uh, Kevin Pelton with Burns and Gamble today. I'm I'm, they're selling me on this idea.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, we got plenty more time to talk about it because I don't it doesn't sound like anything's happening tonight. No, actually, no official trade can happen yet anyway because of the NBA's moratorium. But I'm with you. Now I want something to happen. You have you've gotten my hopes up, whether it's Chris Paul or somebody else. All right, so what are we going to do about college football? This music is soothing enough to, to maybe curb my anger a little bit, but not really. I feel like, I want to be careful with how I say this, because obviously we're all dealing, with uncharted waters, how we're trying to navigate through sports. And if I told you on November 11th, 2019, that we would have had the NHL season that just started wrap up in a bubble, and the NBA season that had just started at that point wrap up in a bubble, and the NFL season where games are being moved around and they might expand the playoffs, and Major League Baseball only played a 60-game season, and then you know they played the NL playoffs and an AL stadium and vice versa. You would have been like, what are you talking about? But that's where we are. So it has been a crazy year, obviously. So I don't expect college football to navigate this perfectly, but I don't feel like... I, I know they're doing their best... But I just, I just feel like they, they just needed more contingency plans with games to get some of these teams playing. Waiting so long, like the Pac-12 did, yeah, to
2: come up with a schedule is what's really killing these conferences. Because now, like we saw, Cal and Washington get canceled, not postponed, canceled, mm. and they're not even playing these games.
1: They have no wiggle room. I know I keep harping on this, but it's because I've been saying it now for almost a full week. Like you what's the saying you don't want to let perfect get in the way of good? Nothing's going to be perfect in 2020. So specifically with the Pac-12, and I absolutely believe a huge part of the problem here is all these conferences are are managed independently, and so it's it's not, you know, the NCAA doesn't really, it's not like one overarching governing body like the NFL running 32 teams or Major League Baseball running 30 teams or, you know, you can't get all the NBA and NHL teams on the same page and go into a bubble. You can't do that with college football. But nobody's been able to explain to me why last Friday... When it was clear that that Cal wasn't going to play, and so by proxy, the Huskies weren't going to play, and Utah wasn't going to play, so by proxy, U of A wasn't going to play, why not, that very night, put together a plan, hey, you know what, who plays Cal next, who plays Utah next, okay, it's ASU and UCLA, they play each other in week two. Let's just get out ahead of this as best we can. Now, there's no guarantee that you know, nobody on UCLA or ASU catches it and then, you know, that your work is, is out the window, I guess. But ASU and UCLA are going to play in Week 5 of this Pac-12 season. Why aren't they just playing each other this weekend? And then if Cal and Utah can both play, then just have them play each other. But now you're, you're impacting teams where the guys are healthy. And that's, that, to me, is the avoidable part. If you got a team that doesn't have enough healthy players to play, well yeah, don't put everybody at risk. That unfortunately that team just can't play. But when you have healthy teams just sitting around and you're not willing to move the national playoffs back, national championship playoffs back. You're being too rigid in a situation that just demands fluidity. And I'm starting to think ASU is not going to play this weekend. In fact, I kind of thought it last Friday before they even played USC they could be playing UCLA. And it's not just because it's ASU. I understand that there's examples of this going on all around the nation. I mean, the SEC has four four games not being scheduled or not being played this weekend, so eight teams aren't playing, and not all eight of them have COVID issues.
2: And on the other hand, too, with the players, with, when you see how it's being handled, how do you still expect them to go out there whenever they actually do get to play a game and play it
1: 100%? I can't I, imagine preparing would, for a game
2: that I you think I would have a hard time... Playing feeling like the season even is real.
1: Yeah. You know? I, I and Some of these guys have NFL aspirations. I understand out. why they didn't want to do the season in the spring because then you lose your, your really top-end players like Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields probably because they're getting ready for the draft. I get that. Obviously now in retrospect that was the way to do it because we're just missing too many games and Trevor Lawrence not playing even though Clemson did. I mean that Clemson lost that game cuz Trevor Lawrence didn't play. The best player in college football didn't play and now probably the best team has a loss and I just I think some of this could have been avoided. Not all of it, but I do think some of it could be done differently and you know I, I, the the issue I have is is the unwillingness to be flexible on some things that I grant you wouldn't be easy. And I grant you now on Wednesday heading into Thursday, it wouldn't be easy to, to tell ASU and UCLA you're playing each other. But I bet, I bet if you went to ASU's players and UCLA's players and said, you can't play this weekend or you could play UCLA, they would say, yeah, we haven't been preparing for UCLA, but I'd much rather play than just not play at all. Especially when you could have told them last Friday, and they could have prepared for each other. And then Week Five, when they're supposed to play each other, alter the schedule. You're not dealing with every college team; you're just dealing within the Pac-12 in this case. And I'm sure there's similar situations uh, in the SEC and some of these other conferences. All right, we'll come back. We'll wrap up the show with a little fantasy football talk next. It'll be rising and falling. It's the rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM Arizona Sports Station.
0: It's the rundown. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station.
1: Final segment of the show. We like to work some fantasy football in at the 745 mark, and uh, it's Wednesday. We'll give you a little rising and falling. A quarterback, running back, and receiver trending up, and a quarterback, running back, and receiver trending down. Bear, I'll let you go first.
2: This oh, time. Okay. My rising quarterback? Yes, is Matt Ryan mm. of the Atlanta Falcons, who I believe I had on my falling list at one point <laughs> a few weeks ago. But over his past three games, he has at least 280 passing yards or more in that span. He is also in those that three last three-game span had four touchdown passes, and he's somehow the seventh-ranked quarterback in fantasy football. Uh, that is crazy. Yeah, it's weird. Um, hopefully they get he gets Calvin Ridley back soon because uh, he's been hurt. But uh, oh, you don't have yeah. to tell me. It's weird that Matt Ryan is so high, but like Julio Jones isn't in the top ten yeah. wide receivers. It's kind of strange. Um, Calvin Ridley has a lot to do with that. He but, does.
1: He absolutely does. Uh, this is like this is rising in the most traditional sense because this guy wasn't really very good earlier. And not somebody you would have on your team, but if you are looking to stream a quarterback this week, Patrick Mahomes is not playing because of the bye week. Oh. You know where I'm going with this? Drew Locke. Drew Locke. 53 really? fantasy points in his last two games. Wow. Now, okay. I, in full disclosure, the league where I Patrick Mahomes, I did not pick up Drew Locke. I'm just riding Jared Goff because he's playing Seattle, and Seattle doesn't have – they don't put players on the field for defense. But Drew Locke in his last two games – 561 passing yards and five touchdowns two All interceptions right. i mean still drew lock but not bad. <laughs> it is as you said before the show it's tougher to find quarterbacks that are rising at this it point is. in the season because you kind of know who everybody is it sure is
2: uh, um who do my, you have falling? my falling quarterback is matthew stafford of the detroit lions he he's been okay in his last couple few games but He's only scored 20-plus points one time in his last four games, and that was against the uh, somehow the top-scoring fantasy defense, the Indianapolis Colts, uh, <laughs> where he had three, 336 yards and three touchdowns. Um, There's a lot of garbage time in that game, if I remember right. Yeah, last week against the Vikings, though, just eight points, 211 yards with one touchdown and two picks. Um, he Speaking of picks, he has four total turnovers in his last three games so that's not great yeah and they face some a decent defense this week with the Washington Washington football team uh, who that's about all that they're doing right is their
1: defense That's true That's true uh, I was debating between Nick Foles and the guy I'm actually gonna pick because I don't think many people had Nick Foles on their team Baker Mayfield, I understand, wasn't like a, a top five or ten quarterback coming into the season, but in his last three games, now last week they had the bye week, uh, but the week before he put up seven fantasy points against Vegas, that's horrible for a quarterback. Week before he had a huge game against Cincinnati, but the week before that, six and a half against Pittsburgh. You cannot have your quarterback putting up single-digit fantasy points ever, and two of his last three starts, he's gone under eight points. He also doesn't Yikes. have Odell Beckham Jr., and I don't really know who's going to step up. They thought maybe Richard Higgins, maybe Jarvis Landry, but nobody really has yet. Like Cleveland's just going to run and run and run because Nick Chubb's I'm back co- now, too.
2: Oh, is he back this week, Nick Chubb? Chubb is supposed to be oh, back. So crap. now you have Chubb and Hunt. I have Kareem Hunt in the league, so that's bad news for me. Um, moving on to running backs, my rising running back. I think you might have one have this guy in a league or two leonard fournette Mm. of the tampa bay buccaneers
1: explain to me why i should feel good about having him
2: well he's had double digit point uh totals in his last in all of his last three games uh and i he's outscoring uh tampa's lead back ronald jones in that span and he's been involved in the passing game with 14 catches in his last three games again i mean (laughs) <laughs> Take this game with New Orleans out of it <laughs> He only had one carry for zero yards But he had six catches for 41 yards So uh, he seems to be a guy too If, if they're down that he's going to be in instead of Ronald Jones Because he seems to be better at catching passes out of the backfield So I'm not saying he should be Every week starter or anything yet But could be a guy worth keeping an eye on Yeah,
1: that's fair And, and I'll go with running back I'll go with Mike Davis who a lot of, Nobody drafted him a lot of people yep. picked him up earlier this season. He's been good. I actually picked him up and I'm only in four leagues this year, which is good for me. I picked him up in that's two still of those leagues. So many. <laughs> I have a friend that's in 10. That's ridiculous. Yeah, I'm you can't, sorry. You can't enjoy. I did 9 once one year and I just I hated my life and everybody in it. I think the it.
2: most I've ever done is like 3, but that, even that was much.
1: Well, Mike Davis for what it's worth, in two of the four leagues I'm in, he was still available last night. Now he hasn't done much over the last three weeks. He's right around. He's averaging eight point six five points a game. but Christian McCaffrey is almost certainly out again this week and maybe beyond. Um, and Mike Davis earlier the season was putting up twenty two, twenty three, twenty nine yep. points in these games in for Christian McCaffrey. And if you watch them, they just they throw to him. They throw to their running back so much. So if you're in a PPR league, obviously Mike Davis is huge. Gets Tampa this week. Not a great matchup. But the thing about him is you might be able to pick him up right now. And if you can, you're probably starting him this week.
2: All right. My falling running back is Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Mm. Still the ninth ranked running back in, in fantasy football. But he hasn't rushed for over 46 yards in his last three games. That's a problem. His high was 48 carries for 46 yards. He did have a touchdown against Denver in week seven. But other than that, against the Jets, only six points, six carries for 21 yards. That was the Mahomes show, though, that that week. And then this past week at Carolina, uh, five carries for 14 yards. uh, Had three catches for 20 yards and a touchdown. In in his last uh, three games, only two total touchdowns.
1: Well, I can't argue with that, but I will counter with Ezekiel Elliott. Oh, well, yes. Who is averaging... (laughs) Everyone on the Cowboys is just stocks falling. His last four games, he has 12 points, 6 points, 8 points, 9 points. Yuck. Yuck. I'm looking at the, at the average over the last four weeks. Zeke's averaging 8.83. Just to put that in Jeez. context, Dalvin Cook's averaging 48 points <laughs> a
2: game.
1: <laughs> but, yeah, Zeke Elliott, I mean, I, you know, if he's hurt at all down the stretch, would they even really play him? What's the point? Right. Um, so, yeah. All right, quickly to receiver before um, we end the show. My
2: rising receiver is Brandon Cooks. Yes. His three touchdown catches in his last four games has at least 60 yards in every game in that span, including... 161 against Jacksonville Jaguars. I know that makes
1: you happy. I told you, he has a connection with Deshaun Watson somehow. Uh, My riser at receiver, Christian Kirk... He, yes. Over the last four weeks, fantasy points per game, he is behind at the receiver position only Devonte Adams, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, Keenan Allen, Christian Kirk ahead wow. of everybody else at the receiver position. Who do you got for falling?
2: Um, uh, another Cowboy, Amari Cooper, uh, hasn't scored a touchdown in his last three games. He has no real QB to throw to. Hasn't had a 100 yard receiving game since Week Four
1: bad that's pretty terrible um there's quite a few receivers we could have gone with I actually I should have thrown Curtis Samuel in there as a riser he's been really good and they use him as a running back when McCaffrey's not there uh and he's probably available in your lab maybe I'm gonna go with Adam Thielen as falling he has eight catches in the last month eight catches in the last month eight eight for 116 And and (laughs) And, and he was drafted pretty high so yep That uh, offense is running through it. Dalvin Cook now, and when they throw, it's Justin Jefferson. All right, that is another episode of Rising and Falling. It's another episode of the Rundown here, too. So thanks to everybody for tuning in. Thanks to Cody Fincher behind the glass. Thanks to Kellen Olson for joining us to talk a little NBA draft and Chris Paul. I'm Luke Lipinski. It's been the Rundown on 98.7 FM Arizona Sports Station.